Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Oh, money makes the world go around, and it also is critically important when it comes to elections. Yes. Yes, this being an election year, Barry. Again, that is the voice of Barry Markson in all week for Bruce St. James, who's on vacation. We know that the Senate race that is going to be taking place here in the state of Arizona in November is one of the most closely watched races in the country because Democrats believe they have a real chance of flipping a Republican senator Senate seat to a Democrat. And you know what? You got polling data that shows Martha McSally is pretty much in a statistical dead heat with the presumptive Democratic nominee, Mark Kelly. Now we're starting to see some numbers. And I'm talking about poll numbers here. I'm talking about financial numbers. Yeah. And this is this is going to be a highly contested race. There's going to be a lot of money that comes in. But for 2019, Mark Kelly, uh, the Democratic uh, uh, candidate for Senate, he raised $20 million. And that compares to $12 million for McSally. That's almost unheard heard of for an incumbent senator to have raised less 60 percent of of what the of what the newcomer has raised but let me put this into perspective for you the 12 million that martha mcsally has raised is more than any of her colleagues in the u.s senate yeah so it's not like she is underperforming i mean she seems to be at the top of her Senate game, is at least when you're comparing it to other senators, and she's still behind Mark Kelly. Yeah, no, and she's look, she's raising a lot of money. She raised four million dollars in the last quarter That's of 2019. A lot of money. She has seven point six million on him, but Kelly raised six point three million. So it's he's getting a lot of attention locally in Arizona and getting a lot of support. And then nationally, you're absolutely right, Pamela. The Democrats look at Arizona now. We as a, as a possibility, we the Democrats had not. Uh, uh, excuse me. Arizona had we had not elected a Democrat to the Senate since 1980, and Cinema was the first one. And I think they look at this next seat and say McSally's already lost once. Uh, the state's already had a chance to look at her and didn't didn't elect her. This is a really great opportunity. And Mark, when you look at Mark Kelly, guy was an astronaut, was in the military. He matches what McSally has in a lot of those areas. Gabby Giffords is his wife. It's going to be a very close race. It's going to be a close race. It's one that uh, so many here in Arizona are obviously watching. But like you said, it's going to be watched by outside sources. And Uh, not just just PAC money, by the way. Uh, Mark Kelly says his average contribution from over 200,000 donors to his campaign was forty three dollars. So it's not like he's just getting a whole bunch of PAC money coming in. There's a 200,000 individual people have donated to his campaign. Yeah, and, and and to compare and contrast that, Martha McSally's campaign says that her average donation is about 65 bucks, yeah. and that's come from 53,000 contributions. So there's a discrepancy there. I mean, like when you're looking at 200,000 versus 53, those people are voters. So you're looking at some numbers there, and you start to kind of read the tea leaves, if you will. But when it comes to you know this race, you had brought up, you know, uh, Kirsten Cinema and how she was the first Democratic senator to be elected in the state of Arizona since the 80s. But when you say Democrat, <laughs> you kind of got to do like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, because even the Democratic Party in Arizona 
is none too happy with her. Well, not the whole party, just just some of the folks on the far left. Yeah, the far left of the party. Uh, And this has this has shades of John McCain to me, by the way, because the Republican Party did in Arizona did this to John McCain. But there are a bunch of left wing liberals in in the Democratic Party uh, who are infuriated by her support for two of President Trump's cabinet nominations and her refusal uh, in joining other Democrats trying to reinstate net neutrality rules and some other things. They basically are saying they don't think she's Democrat enough. She's not a, a hard enough liberal for them. So they're trying to get the state party to vote at the end of January on a, on a disapproval resolution, disapproval for her failure to support the tenants of the party's 2016 platform. This may be one of the dumbest yeah. political things I have you. ever seen. Why do you think it's so dumb, though? Well, you, you've got you finally elected a Democrat yep. to a Senate in Arizona the first time in forty years. And she's that, not Democratic enough for you, and now she's not enough for you. It's like, come on, she 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 does she caucuses with the Democrats. She's a Democrat. She adds to your numbers. If you're going to retake the Senate, she's going to help you do it. You should be doing everything you can to prop her up. If you want to behind the scenes talk to her or talk to her people about, hey, maybe a little more of this, a little more of that, okay. But to publicly denounce your own person and I, I, it, it boggles the mind how ideological some people are. This whole conversation, though, uh, reminds me of, of another conversation that took place in 2018 when the election for uh, this seat w- was still up for grabs. This is the you know the, the former Jeff Flake seat, and that's when you had Kirsten Cinema going up against Martha McSally. And the conversation I'm referring to, Barry, is one that took place between Larry Gatos. And at the time, just, you know, uh, Kirsten Sinema, Congresswoman, she was running for reelection or was running for election to the Senate. And this exchange took place and it kind of goes a little bit to what the 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 far left side of the Democratic Party here in Arizona is upset about. Take a listen. Representative uh, Sinema, are you a Democrat? I am. Proud Democrat? I, gosh, it's hard to say proud. I don't know that I'm not sure that people are even proud of parties anymore because I feel like the parties are ugh, not doing a good job. So I would say that I'm a proud Arizonan. That's mm. something I'm very proud of. Um, and I'm proud of the work that I have done in Washington, D.C. and the work I've done in the state Senate and the state House before going uh, to Congress. But I'm not particularly proud of the parties. So, yeah, she's a Democrat, but not particularly proud of the parties. Oh, she's she's working. And I've been to things where she's spoken and she she talks about working across the aisle. She doesn't care if she works with Republicans or Democrats. She wants to get things done that are important for Arizona and important for the state. I, I wish there were more people like her that weren't ideologically stuffed into a certain box and they can't do anything outside of that box. She's willing to listen to people. She's willing to work with the other side. Isn't that what we want in our politicians? Oh, you know, it's what you and I want. It's what you and I want, but I don't know if that's what the average Arizonan wants. Well. We've become so polarized because what you're talking about is working with both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Barry, you and I have both been around long enough to know that that's the way it used to be. Right. That you may have the Republicans that take the Democrats to task on television and the Democrats that take the Republicans to task on television. But behind the scenes, they'd have dinner. They'd work together. They'd work across the aisles. There was benefit in compromise. But now you look at what's taking place and transpiring in the Beltway. And is there benefit and compromise? I think that that's where things have changed. And that is what makes Kirsten Sinema, Senator Sinema, 
an anomaly. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. And and look, for people who say she's not a, Demo- a Democrat, remember, she's the person, she was a very left-wing liberal when she came into yeah. uh, the public eye in the early 2000s. Yeah. If you remember the election, Martha McSally ran the ad with her in the pink tutu. tutu. You yeah. know, there was, there, she's, she is who she is. I, I, I don't know what people are talking about when they say she's not a Democrat or a liberal. She is. But she recognizes her job. She did it as a congressperson, too, that she rep- she worked with both sides. She was able to find, find middle ground where she can. It doesn't mean she didn't vote her principles or didn't vote Democratic when she needed to. But she's doing the same thing now as an Arizona senator. She recognizes that the state is split and she's trying to represent all of the residents of Arizona, not just those in her party. I, I respect that a lot, just like I did with John McCain. John McCain voted Republican and conservative, I don't know what it was, 85, 90% of the time. Sometimes he'd step out of that box and he said, no, I think this is the right way to go. And Republicans went crazy as a result of that and did the same thing, censure votes in the local Republican Party. But he was doing principally what he thought was the right thing. I'm excited to see another Arizona senator do that as well. So am I. And we're going to be getting um, a a formal like senator here in 2020. I mean, you have Martha McSally, who was tapped to fill Senator McCain's uh, vacant seat there. And so, you know, who is it going to be? Is it going to be McSally? Is it going to be Kelly? Well, the coffers are getting full. I mean, really full. And we're talking yeah. about massive money. We're going to see a lot of I don't want to just ads. throw around, you know, Mark Kelly raising $20 million and McSally raising $12 million by now is just some like, eh, whatever. No, those are by, like huge numbers. By comparison, Cinema's whole, the, all the money she raised when she won election in 2018 was $24 million. So Kelly just raised $20 million last year, not even in the actual year of the election yet. Right. It's going to dwarf that. We're going to see a lot of TV ads yep. on both of these candidates. Yep, exactly. All right, so uh, why is an HOA kicking out an Arizona teen after he lost both of his parents Ooh. and is now living with his grandparents? What's going on on all of this? Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Barry Markson in with me today and all week long. And Barry, do you live in an HOA community? I do not. You do not? Okay, I do. And I I'm choose. Sorry. Yeah, well, you know what? They're, they can be a pain <laughs> in the butt, can't they? They can be, but oh there's, my there's, gosh. there's pluses too. There is. But uh, so you don't live in one. I know Bruce does not live in one. He chose specifically not to live in an HOA because he didn't want to deal with a headache. Is that similar to you? Um, well, we just liked our neighborhood. It wasn't a okay. big thing, but I've lived in HOA communities before. I've served on HOA boards before. Doesn't so, surprise me. So, but, well, I did it then because I didn't want the HOA to become a pain in the yeah. butt, right? I wanted to just be neighbors and it worked out well. Um, but I will say there's reasons to have an HOA, and I experience some of that now in my current house. Exactly. And you know what? By living in an HOA community, I know that they can be a pain in the butt and a thorn in your side, but I choose to do that. So you got to follow the rules. Yeah. So that brings us to a story that's coming out of Prescott. And I'll tell you, it is a heart-wrenching story where you have tremendous compassion for what this family goes through. So it's compassion you're weighing against rules. So what's happened? We've got a, a teenager who lived in California with his mom and dad. And in the course of two weeks, he lost both of his parents. Apparently, dad committed suicide and mom died a few weeks there later. So you've got this, at the time, I believe, 14-year-old young man who had no place to go except grandma's house, grand, granddad's house. And they live here in Prescott. But they live in a 55 and over community. So he moved in with them in uh, late 2018, and now 
the grandparents got a letter from the HOA saying, yeah, your teen He's got to go. It's amazing how one rule is more important than one person's life. We didn't plan this. We didn't go out all of a sudden one day and say, hey, let's have Clay kill himself and, and let's have Bonnie die and we'll take Colin in. And to heck with the HOA. It's not the way it was planned. Obviously, that's grandma there talking about what's going on with her grandson. Yeah, look, this is you feel for these people uh, and certainly for for Colin, who lost both of his parents. It's an incredibly sad story. They live in a 55 uh, or older community. There's HOA. There's a whole bunch of bylaws about who's allowed to live there. And you're not allowed to live there if you're under 55. They don't have parents there with kids who live at home. Um, They don't want that. Now, I don't think there's an no one's saying there's an issue with this kid. He's not a bad kid. He's not doing anything that's disruptive. But those are the rules of the organization, Pamela. And from a legal perspective, I'll just tell you for these HOAs, they're in a tough spot because if they ignore their rules, sometimes they become impossible to enforce later. So if they ignore the rule for this guy, and by the way, apparently they've let it go for a year already and they're giving him another six months to figure it out. But if they ignore it here and then somebody says, yeah, I'm going to let my daughter and her six-year-old and four-year-old live with us because she doesn't have any place else to go, they can't enforce the rule later if they don't enforce it every time. I hate to agree with you, Barry, but I do. I mean, this family is going through such difficult times right now, and I do have compassion, and I do think that compassion has been offered to them. It wasn't a, hey, this kid is with you, now you've got to move out. It has been a year and a half in order to make those arrangements necessary. And I know that they're in their 70s, and it's not easy, and I'm not trying to downplay it, but you're the one that chose to live in this community because it had age restrictions. You would expect those age restrictions to be enforced upon. And I know you and I both come from it at that standpoint. And it's hard because my heart hurts for this family. But uh, super producer Stevie Z, he kind of sees this a little differently. Yeah, well, I mean, I come at it from the stance of what is the right thing to do? Not just what's written down in the bylaws. But who's, who's determining what's right? I think that humanity in this story is easy enough to see. For me, it's nobody asked for this situation. It's not like the family is moving into a 55 and over community and they they have to to. accept. Exactly. They wouldn't be allowed to. And I'm fine with that. And I still don't think the community should allow anybody to move into the community. But this is a family that was already there. If you were really a great community, if you were really a great HOA, you would rally around this family who not only lost his parent, the, the kid lost his parents, but also the grandparents lost their children. I mean, this is a scenario where, to me, it would be such a good feel-good story if the HOA rallied around this family and so provided me, an opportunity for them. So let me ask you this. What, what if the, the neighbor around the corner, has, the grandparents, and the, the, has a daughter with two little kids, and the daughter's husband leaves them, and she doesn't have a job, and they have nowhere else to go? Can they move in and stay there for three years? Should the, should the community rally around them? Should that, I mean, it's an awful situation. She didn't, yeah. It wasn't planned that way. I'd She's love to, to see the, the community rally around everybody who's well, in a difficult situation. But then it's not and a 55-year-old community anymore. Exactly. I understand that that's, that's the rule, and that's the way it is. But to me, you do the right thing for the human being. And I don't care. It, By the I, way, I hear the argument that they've been doing the right thing for the past year. And I'm like, well, what is the difference if you hold on to him for another three years until he turns 18? It, it makes it impossible to, to enforce the rule the for rule later. And let me. And by the way, these folks aren't assigned this housing by the government. They own the house. Sell the house. Go live somewhere else for and a few years. And the other idea, though, is the reason that this community exists. The reason that it exists is because it is an age-restricted 
community. They picked Otherwise, it. it would be like where I live out in Gilbert, just any other community that has an HOA. And again, I choose to purchase a home in an HOA community, even though I know it's a headache. They chose to build and purchase a home in an age-restricted community. Now, nobody could foresee the the tragedy that struck this family, but this is what you chose, and it pains me to say it, but I do think that the HOA has been very supportive in giving them a year and a half. I know that the family doesn't like it, and I totally get all the reasons why, but you also have to see that the HOA and the community is, is doing what they're supposed to do. Pamela, I think the takeaway here is that Steve's wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't see a downside to letting. I get the letting, humanity that he's I don't. I don't see a downside to letting the kid stay for three more years until he turns eighteen. I do. You don't have to let anyone else. You don't have to let anyone else in in that time period. Change it. Do Try the making right that argument thing. the next time that somebody else says, well, "Why'd you do it for them and not for us?" Right. I do the right thing. We're drinking now. Even if, it, even if I had to do it three times. Drink. All right. You're gonna. You're gonna cause me to drink here, Steve. All right. And we're drinking more now than we ever have before prohibition. What? What's going on? Well, we're arguing a lot, okay? But beyond that, we'll tell you. Coming up next here on KTAR. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Yeah, I'm glad I've got uh, Barry Markson in for me today. And in all week long as Bruce St. James is out because we're going to be talking about drinking here next. And uh, Bruce doesn't drink. So (laughs) there's really no perspective that uh, I can get from him on this whole topic. But I think I can get a couple amens from Uh, you, Barry. I I don't drink either, Pamela. Every day, I, I don't drink say, every day. I'm like, come on, man. I know you. Come on now, <laughs> don't, don't, don't play that. So, what are we talking about when it comes to drinking? Well, a lot of it. Apparently, we are drinking more now than we did right before prohibition. Now, when I talk about this, these these numbers are really interesting to me, Barry, because right before prohibition, and you know, 1919 or so, we had. The average American downing about two gallons of alcohol a year. Now, and I'm like, okay, two, that, that, that seems like a lot. Now, though, <laughs> it's up to 2.3 gallons. Now, I know what a gallon looks like. I mean, we all got the gallon milk jug yeah. in our refrigerator, right? So we're like, okay, we can kind of put that into perspective, but they even break it down a little bit more. So right now, the average American that, that drinks alcohol is drinking 2.3 gallons a year. That works out to nearly 500 drinks or about nine a week. Nine drinks a week. All right, that's that's a few. That's definitely a few drinks. It, you know, we're we're joking around about this a little bit, but in, in reality, some of this is is bad. There are people who are addicted. There's a lot of it. That's there's, bad. there's a lot of alcoholism. So, in addition to the rise in, in people drinking alcohol, uh, there's also a rise in emergency room visits, hospitalizations, and deaths due to due to drinking. So that's that's there. There's no question about that. But on the the positive side, though, teen drinking is down. Teen drinking is down. Women are drinking a little bit less wine for some reason. I don't, I don't understand how that's happening. I think the teen drinking thing is interesting. I, I equate because there's more pot. I, I think that teens are finding other things to do. Uh, they're vaping, and they're and the pot is more prevalent. So it's kind of like one or the other. You don't think that they're doing both? I, I think that's what it is. Um, I think that okay. they're just drinking less but doing more of something else. So when you say that, that's that's kind of an interesting take because at that point you're going, okay, teens are going to take risks. That's what they do. Yeah. So what are they choosing to risk with? Are they are they risking alcohol? Are they risking vaping? Are they risking pot? I am still of the mindset, and maybe I'm wrong. But of those three, 
What's the easiest to obtain? Would it be vaping? I think vaping might be the easiest to obtain. Probably followed by alcohol and then pot. Yeah, it depends. I mean, look, you can pretty much get anything you want these days, and you always could. I mean, when I was in high school, kids had pot. There was cold. Yeah, but it's not as easy as you. At least when I was in high school, you knew it was there, and you knew who had it. But it wasn't necessarily easy to get it. This whole idea, like if you want it, you can get it. I don't know though if that has changed. I mean, a lot of the young people I talk to, it kind of has. Like you just talk to this person, talk to this person. And you can get what you want. I think it's easier to get pot these days only because of it's either legal in many states yeah. or there's medical marijuana. So a lot more people have it. It's more Access. readily available. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if parents are giving it to their kids or not, but it's it's definitely Just like the there. alcohol. I mean, like in the yeah. liquor cabinet. Are you, do you right. lock your liquor cabinet? No. Well, then kids have access kind of thing. Right. Exactly. There's definitely more of that there. But there's also been the alcohol thing has also been an, an improvement in the quality of alcohol. I mean, the quality of wine now is better than it's ever been. Spirits, the liquors, that all that's better. The cocktail culture returned about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So you're seeing... Uh, people are, in essence, drinking better. There's a lot of more high-quality things there, in addition to the, what we've always had. You, you say better, but... Craft beer uh, is everywhere. But there's also so much more of it. Yeah. I mean, walk down any grocery store aisle, or, I mean, like, you, we've got these, like, huge, huge stores, like Total Wine, and all of these, yeah. these, these places that are, like, they're like the Home Depot of alcohol. They're huge yeah. stores. And, and I just remember growing up, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and they have some well, backwards liquor yeah. laws. I mean, that is where if you want beer, you got to get it from a beer distributor and you've got to buy it in a case. There were no like six packs right. unless you went to a six pack store. Right. And if you wanted wine or liquor, you had to go to a state store. State it was all store. done yeah. by the government. My dad was blown away when I first came out here to ASU and we went to the grocery store, you know, the Safeway there off of right. Broadway. And he's like, what the heck is this? You yeah. can buy a bottle of wine with dinner. Right. He loved it. Now, those laws have started to change. Change, but as those laws change, does that mean that there's more consumption? Yeah, well, and that may be. Uh, but I, I think there's a, again the, the quality's increased. It's, it's just different. Even if you're you know you're a beer drinker, there's all these different craft beers now. There's just there's just better of everything. It wasn't that long ago, Pamela, where even like vodka there was Absolute and Smirnoff and, and that kind of thing. And now there's I don't even know are there are a thousand different brands of vodka. It seems like there's a new one every day. So I think people are learning more about it. They're looking for higher quality things in many cases. Um, but also there are just people who are drinking more. And you know we talk about this sometimes, just the despair, people not doing as well, and I think they, or feel they can't do as well, and they, they kind of go to the bottle for I think that's uh, the coping mechanism. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how, who amongst us that drinks? I mean, those of you that haven't, I, I get it, all right, but you know, you, you've had a, a, a rough day at work, or, you know, stuff's going on, and what do you, I just need a glass of wine. I'm not saying that that's the best way to go about mm. tackling your problems, yeah. but so many have done that. Like, you know what? I just need a glass of wine, and, yeah. you know, mommy juice, and, and all of these things that we've kind of heard these funny... <laughs> mommy juice. Mommy, it's mommy juice, um, <laughs> that, that that have kind of come into, into, like, the memes or so out there, but you, you were talking about quality, right? And, yeah. and like, the quality. Is, I don't know how many people really care about quality. Yeah, there are those out there that are like, I only drink Grey Goose Maltese. <laughs> and I'm like, all vodka tastes the same to me unless it's flavored. But wine, we find that like wine and the quality of wine, not really something that people are all that concerned of because sale of wine under $10 a bottle have made up most of the wine sales. 
Well, that's that's definitely true, but there's also been an increase in, in upper end wine and the quality of wine overall. What I, when I say that, what I mean is I think that we've come up with really good practices about how to grow grapes and how to make wine where there it's rare it's 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 less difficult to make a good wine. So there's more good wine. I think available. you've got a lot of people out there that just want a bottle of wine and couldn't really tell you the difference between a good bottle of wine and right. a bottle of wine. But what we okay, so so as we we've got these kind of competing stories, I think that there's there's some a little bit more to By the dig way, the, into. The, the the sales of the ten dollars and under bottles of wine uh, they make up most of the category, but it's dropping. It's less less and less each year now. So that might be a, a, a reflection of the price, but also of those higher quality wines that are out there. So we've got the U.S. that's uh, drinking more now. We're drinking more now than we did before prohibition, but we're drinking <laughs> less wine for the first time in twenty five years. And I think what's going on with that is, you know, you got a lot of millennials that that just aren't embracing wine the way that they used to. It's the claw. It, it is. I mean, they're opening up uh, you know, White Claw's opening up a, a facility just out in I Glendale. Know. You look at just... The, making White Claw in Glendale. I go back to like when I was in college and you had, you know, you had your hard alcohol, you had your beer, you had your wine and then you had, you know... Zima. White Claw's the new Zima. No, but, but I mean, like you had yeah. Zima and you had these like kind of one-off type of things... Now, though, there's so many choices. And because of that, because choice, I think your consumption is going up. I think you can make a strong argument for that. $38 billion in wine sales a year in the United States. Wow. That's a lot of money. $38 billion. That's a lot of gallons. That's a lot of hangovers. That's (laughs) That's, what I hear when I hear that. That's a lot of wine. Oh, you know what? There's a lot of cheers going up this morning because everyone's favorite cardinal. Guess what? It's coming back, and we're talking about it when we come back here on KTAR. Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. He's back. Throws near side to Fitz, caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Oh, Larry Fitzgerald coming back. Yep. He says he's coming back for another season, making headlines, getting people all hyped this morning like our buddies over on Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. Doug and Wolf reacting to the news. I'm just excited that it's so early in the process. It's before the, the Phoenix Open. It's yeah, the first time in years that's before the Phoenix Open that he's that confident I'm ready to go. I don't need any more time. This is great news for the Arizona Cardinals, of course, and for the Red Sea. Great news. There's going to be a year 17 for Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Barry Mark's in it all week long. Bruce is on vacation. Can I get a yeah, baby from you? Yeah, baby. All right. Yeah, this is a uh, look. We all love Fitz. He's such a great player, such a great leader in the on this team, and and he's been with the team for seventeen years now. I mean, he is literally the face of the organization, uh, and he's thirty seven years old. He will be thirty seven years old for next season. Uh, it, it's amazing. He's a Hall of Famer. You're watching a Hall of Fame player play, and I got to tell you, for this season, Pamela he had over eight hundred uh, yards reception, over seventy uh, catches, uh, four touchdowns. He was the best wide receiver on the team. It's going to be great to have him back. I start to be worried about him. He's he stayed so healthy through his career to have a 37-year-old NFL player. You don't see that very often, um, but I'm, I just hope he stays healthy uh, and can retire and enjoy the rest of his life because he's going to have a good one, and I, I, he's, got, he's got more money than he's ever going to need, I think, and I think he'd probably agree with that. He loves the game, and my guess at this point is he's also setting some records. I mean, he's already one of the top two, three wide receivers in the history of the NFL. 
another year or two, he could be considered the best. So you got Fitz saying that the season was among the most fun of his career, future so bright for this team. I relish the opportunity to continue to build it. So while he's continuing to build the team, and while you know he's also continuing to build the accolades and the records yeah. that, that he smashes, we have another High-profile, fantastic football player. We're talking about uh, a Carolina Panthers uh, player here, defensive player of the year by the NFL. Former, you know, he's a linebacker. Say his name, <laughs> Luke Keekley. Yeah, one, really I, one of the I best like defense, one of the best defensive players in the NFL. I mean, he was a NFL player, a defensive player of the year in 2013. He won a Super Bowl with the Panthers. He's a great player. He's only been in the league for eight years. He's a young guy, and he's decided to step away at 28. Uh, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, you're leaving something you love doing. It's something he said I've been doing it since I'm a kid. Uh, he enjoys it, and he's making a bunch of money from it. And he's stepping away. Uh, he just says he can't do it at the same level, and so he doesn't want to do it if he can't do it. You know, hard and fast and physical. No, He's had a bunch of concussions, though, Pamela. And that's the thing. So so yeah. while he did not talk about the concussions is the reason why he left. I mean, like, he missed nine games because of concussions in a particular season. He, he's had um, three that have been known throughout his eight-year career. So he, he is at the top of his game and eight years in and is, is walking away. Um, and and you, you put that up against, you know, like Larry Fitzgerald in 17 years and, and, and get another one in there. Obviously, two very different players. And one's continuing for one reason and, and one's walking away from another reason. But but what, what Luke is deciding to do is one that, like, I feel for the guy. I honestly feel for the guy. I mean, here's a guy who, who's 28 years old who started playing football in the fourth grade. And he is so wildly successful at it and had to make the extremely difficult decision to walk away from what has become his life for years and and, and somewhat of his identity. Yeah, that's true. But as you mentioned, he's been injured a lot. He's missed a bunch of games. He doesn't feel he's playing at the same level. And I could see somebody that good, if he doesn't think he can play at the level he's used to, you step away. And the other thing, we're seeing this more and more in the NFL now, um, the risk of these head injuries, it's significant. I mean, it cuts people's lives short. It ruins what could be the rest of their life. He's had at least three concussions. You know, one more, it, it it's bad. It's exponentially worse. So we've seen quarterbacks retiring young. We're seeing more and more players retiring young, taking these sort of health issues into uh, into account. So they're they're retiring younger. Yeah, you know, on one hand he is, and Larry's not. Um, but on the other token, I mean, with the head concussions and the injuries to the brain that we're seeing here, Barry. I think that eventually we're going to get to a point in time where the pipeline for football is going to be impacted because you have a lot of parents who are sitting down at Valley dinner tables talking, you know, when their son comes home and says, I want to play football and they go, "Okay, flag. Yeah, you want to play flag? You can play flag football. But when you're you know, putting on the the pads and and you're playing full contact, there are a lot of families that are saying, no, go play baseball, go play soccer, go play, you know, some other sport so that you can protect your noggin, and I think eventually that's going to have an impact on what kind of athletes make it to the NFL. Yeah, no, I think you're right. There's definitely, I mean, I know parents who have, I mean, look, we so had that I. discussion. Fortunately, so my I. kids didn't want to play football, but it, it's that's going to happen. And there's there are high school teams now that are shutting down because they can't get enough football players. Oh, me, oh, my, oh, my, oh, me. Yeah, we have had enough of these dumb proposed laws in the state of Arizona just over the last couple of months. We're going to focus on one in particular that was yanked. Why was it yanked? And is it the end of the story? We're talking about that next here on KTIR.